know, if it wasn't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Like, this is Phil Jones. Why would you bring those two forces together to create some sort of superpower of bad luck? <laughs> it's insanity. Stop it. Somebody should just bring David Moyle, call him in and just say, no, not Phil Jones. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, comrades. <laughs> Dion. Dion and Nas are here. Uh, you're very welcome to the football spin. It's a football spin on a Thursday. Wednesday. What is it? Wednesday. Um, and uh, we're all excited because... Um, you've got a new microphone. That's it. Yeah. I've just been testing it. Can you still hear me, lads? You, you can hear me there? the exact same, Paddy. And Nas, is, Nas, you're in Manchester and you can hear me. It's incredible. I, I can't hear Paddy. Paddy, hello. I'm only joking. I can, I can, I can hear you. <laughs> uh, that old chestnut. That old chestnut. Hello. <laughs> nah, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. This was a better show before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we have got to the, uh, the business end of the season, chaps. Um, although there's quite a few things that have been decided. We still have lots of interest and lots of intrigue around the bottom end of the table because, um, well, only a week ago, we, he was being given credit from all sides where it was due, Dion, which is fair, by Jeff Shreves and others. One of the finest nights in Moisey's entire career, um, the night that he masterminded West Ham's victory over Chelsea. But just fast forward one week and here he is again, unfortunately, again, masterminding another West Ham performance, but this time a 1-0 defeat to Burnley at home. A, a game that, in fairness, if they were looking at the fixture list, as I'm sure Moisey has done, he'd be looking at that game, targeting three points there. Get it in the can, get that win in the can, that's what he does. So this is not a good day. Dion, this is not a good day for, for Moisey. This wasn't in the plan, no. Um, but I suppose when you're Moise and, well, it probably was in the plan. Because if you're West Ham and David Moyes, defeat is always part of the plan. Uh, and um, so in that sense, this is this is just keeping keeping up with the plan. Like I do think it'll be hard for them. Like I, I still think West Ham will stay up. They have a bit of a buffer against the teams below them, and they do have to play uh like well, you know, they're playing Watford, they're playing Norwich, they're playing Villa on the final day. Now, Villa have, have if Villa could get anything in their in their final games, uh, that could be a, a tense match. But I do think um, West Ham will stay up. But it's not uh, it's 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 not what would Moy, David Moyes would have wanted. But it's also kind of, you know, it's framed in, in a very familiar way too because he's talking about the West Ham played on Sunday. They're now playing, you know, they played Wednesday night and they've got to play Saturday again. And that's something he's not happy <clears> about. 
it's um looking at the fixtures and this is a good time to kind of bring in the the run in and quickly to go through them. So West Ham's run in is they've got Norwich away, which again you think is a game they can get something out of. They got Watford at home, which is six pointer. Away to United, which would be fun, and then another six pointer home to Villa. And like that's intriguing because West Ham have to play both of their big rivals for one of them, you know, falling through the trap door and they have to play them both at home. Um, that's West Ham's run in. Watford's looks a bit more difficult. They're home to Newcastle. Then they're away to West Ham, as we mentioned. They're home to Man City and they're away to Arsenal. Like that's of the three, I think that's the hardest run in. And then Villa, who have a game in hand over both, but are four points behind West Ham. They're playing United tomorrow night. Then they're home to Crystal Palace, away to Everton, home to Arsenal. And then that big uh, final day of the season, they are going to play West Ham away. Um, Nas, that's a lot of fixtures. Um, but in general, um, Moise, he's not happy. He's not happy about the fixtures and how fast, how thick and fast they're coming at this stage of the season. No, I mean, you can under, you can completely understand that. But like, it's, it's, it's coronavirus, do you know what I mean? Like, everyone's dealing with it. Everyone's going through it. I mean, like, like, like Sheffield United, I'm sure they, they, there's been some days they play twice in one day. Like, they, they tend to be playing every day for some reason. So, so, so I don't think, I don't think how memorable Sheffield United are. Like, like, like genuinely, like every single day, Sheffield United are playing somebody. It's a, mm. it's a, but like, um, no, it's um, it's that that seems it's it's not always helpful that like I don't like it when managers complain about tiredness or or, or sort of fixture congestion because even when they've got a point, even when even when they that's a valid excuse, um, in terms of the players. Like I think psychologically, that must make them feel tired anyway. I think uh, I think that can sort of have a negative effect on the players, and uh, and uh, yeah. So I, I I don't think uh, I don't think he should be doing that. I don't think he should be doing that thing of um, putting his excuses in early. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's a strange one with um, Moyes because, like you say, like like we we were kind of joking and joking about him the other week, but he's. There are certain certain times where he sh- where his team show sort of signs of life, and like we've had we've had Joe Cole uh, praising him and sort of like praising him in in a, in a very sort of uh, strange way. As much as as much as David Moyes likes to likes to downplay his own achievements, Joe Joe Cole seems uh, hell bent on sort of putting loads of pressure on him because he because he thinks that uh, West Ham can become the Premier League's um, Red Bull Leipzig. Um, his his logic is is that when when David Moyes was um out of football for a while, well, well not in management, he went over to Leipzig to, I don't know, taking taking how the clubs run and stuff, and 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 therefore that means that he can uh he can turn West Ham into Leipzig. That's that's a little bit like I don't know me me going to the pictures watching like the latest James Bond and then suddenly becoming like a, a like a master spy. Um, he's he he also says which is interesting. Um, he says, um, if fans understand the model uh, and it's pre- presented to him, presented to them in the right way, um, in that the type of player that that the club wants to bring in, they'll support it. Um, if anyone does their homework on Leipzig, it's a fantastic model. Um, instead of getting players in that just get them over the line, it's a strategy. It's and, and basically he says it's it's all about bringing young players in that the club can develop and. Uh, which is which is a little bit strange because because the two players that uh, that West Ham have been linked to recently have been uh, have been um, Jesse Lingard and uh, 
and Jones from United, which which is I know that I know that uh, Lingard in some circles is seen as perennially young, but um, thirty eight year old Jesse Lingard <laughs> winning winning PFA Young Player of the Year, um, but yeah, it's just a. Uh, that's that's not the profile that uh, that Joe Cole seems to think that the club is going for. Why, why would David Moyes want to bring Phil Jones and Jesse Lingard upon himself? Like, okay, whatever about Lingard, and you know, there's moments of talent, and you know, the the, the idea of him being a young player is is kind of ridiculous at this stage. But he has ability, and maybe he's a good player for West Ham uh, to sign. Phil Jones, like the thing you you like, there are many <laughs> words that are used to describe Phil Jones, but like one of the you you could kindly describe him as the luckless Phil Jones, hapless. Well, you could go I, the next one would be hapless, and then we just we would go into a spiral then of of despair <laughs> and rage. Um, but like you could just be kind and just keep it luckless. Now, is what word would you use to describe David Moyes if you were being kind? What word would David Moyes use to describe David Moyes? <laughs> it would be luckless. <laughs> we remember last week, you, you, weren't, you didn't sit around feeling sorry for yourself. Well, I did, Jeff. I was, I was feeling sorry for myself. After the match tonight, David, missed chances in the press conference tonight after they lost to Burnley. David, missed chances must be the big frustration. Frustration is probably the word I would use more than anything. The missed opportunities. I am disappointed that we didn't take something from the game. Missed opportunities, frustration, feeling sorry for myself. Luckless, 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 always just out of luck. That's how David Moyes seems, sees himself. And then he's going to bring in Phil Jones. Like, you know, if it wasn't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Like, this is Phil Jones. Why would you bring those two forces together to create some sort of Superpower of bad luck. <laughs> it's insanity. Stop it. Somebody should just bring David Moy, call him in and just say, No, not Phil Jones. You almost you you almost want it to be like Goodwill Will Hunting when, when somebody just puts the arm on his shoulder and says, Dave, it's not your fault. No, no, it's it's not your fault. <laughs> and he'll just start crying. Say, like, No, it is, it is. It's my it's all my fault. <laughs> No, it's just, it's not uh, really, I just don't see how how you can look at Phil Jones and think, yeah, there is nothing, there's nothing wrong with the Phil Jones at West Ham working with David Moyes' narrative. Like it is an act of, is an act of kind of, like, it's just an act of masochism from, from Moyes to kind of say, selfless masochism in some ways because he would be, Doing his his old club Manchester United a favor, but uh, like it is it is too much for him to to do and to think that he can somehow make he can change Phil Jones's luck he can change his own luck by signing Phil Jones that there's no there's no there's no universe where that all adds up. It's it's interesting because like the, it's almost a hangover from his attitude when he was actually managing United. Uh, um, there's obviously that famous thing of like he he uh, he didn't want to he didn't want to meet uh, Alex Ferguson. No, he didn't want to go to his house um, wearing jeans and all that business. Yeah, um, but but like it's it's almost like he he seemed like he was in he was in awe of Manchester United as an organization, 
um, when he was the manager and it seems to have carried on and it's this thing and, and maybe you'll be able to advise a little bit uh, Paddy because because obviously being affiliated with Everton is is it does I mean they used to be there definitely used to be a, a sense of this but maybe it's there still is where where ex Manchester United players are seen to have some kind of reflected glory or some sort of sheen. I feel Paddy, Paddy cleared his throat there just as he said that. I felt he was getting ready. He, he was taking another dossier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I actually have a dossier on this, Nas. Stand aside, Dion and Nas. I've got some thoughts. <laughs> no, look at, I mean, when Ferguson was the manager of Manchester United, every player had <clears throat> the Alex Ferguson premium. So that Man United got ridiculous, not just for David, from David Moyes, but from lots of clubs. Like, what did Newcastle play for Nicky Butt back in the day? Like, there were so many examples of, like, clubs taking players from Manchester United that were clearly not good footballers. Not, not, Nicky Butt was a good footballer, but he was shot at that stage. Like, there were loads of examples, but Moyes did love a United cast-off, and he took Gibson even though he was hugely injury-prone. Not once, but he also took him to Sunderland away from Everton. That's how much he loved Darren Gibson. Uh, he took Phil Neville, obviously. Like, a lot of these did work out, like Louis Saha. And maybe that's part of the reason why he thinks that can, it can work again, because he took Neville, Saha, and Howard, and they all worked out for, for Everton. But on the other side, he took in Paddy McNair, Yan Azai, um, Donald Love, and, yeah, Gibson, as I mentioned, to Sunderland. And it wasn't just United. Like, he does love, to, like, when he went to Sunderland, as you'll recall, he took so many ex-Everton players with him. He took Oviedo. He took Gibson. Um, he took Victor Anichibi. <laughs> like that. He spent big money on Victor Anichibi to bring him from Everton to Sunderland. And again, like, you just have to question that. But the hope here is that Asier Iremendi is on his target list and is potentially somebody he's getting. He would like to get in for West Ham at this stage. Just, just to hear him pronounce it again. Exactly. Why else? <laughs> So writing today in the Times, um, Matt Dickinson is talking about, is musing about the, uh, is musing about the idea that switching a club, is it really such a crime? This is something that a lot of people in their early years, and I'm talking when you're like uh, less than 10, will flit around, flirt with clubs, whoever's top of the Premier League, understandably. That's why for a while there was a lot of Chelsea fans and now there's a lot of Man City fans, and 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 in the last couple of years there will be a lot of Liverpool Liverpool fans, I should say, I'm going back United. So like it's something you do, but there has to be, I do think, a certain age where it is no longer acceptable to switch a team. Surely that can't be a thing. Now, Nas, before I come to you, um, this has been debated. Um, this has already been debated. Uh, on Talksport, and if nothing, if if this debate throws up nothing else, it's the quality of the conversation and the argument between Natalie Sawyer and Jim White. So whatever you say, I will be rating your analysis against theirs. Just I'm warning you now about about that. Okay, well, that's that's a that's a high bar. I mean, in, in fairness, I've got nothing against Natalie Sawyer. Uh, that, that's all I'll say about those two. Um, but um, it's, it's 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 a bit of a bit of a strange discussion because, I mean. There's only two kinds of people that really change clubs. Um, one is is a very very young child, as in we're talking like nursery or sort of infant, um, or the kind of like 
the kind of guy that's not really into football, but but talks about football or pretends to be into football to to I don't know chat to the sort of plumber and go, oh, did you watch the footy on the weekend? It's the it's the kind of it's it's like it's the David Cameron who 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 forgets which Claret and Blue team he supports. So, but but otherwise, team people don't change clubs. It, it's a it's a weird debate to get into. I think looking at looking at what the the, the study that people are referencing, it's actually about people supporting more than one club and it's saying that uh that younger people um particularly um nearly half of them support um two two football teams now on the surface that seems bizarre to the traditional football fan but um i don't think it's i don't think it's as unusual as as it seems because because essentially um what your what a lot of a lot of football fans out there are not from the UK or they're not from England and therefore their their fandom is based on on a on a remote club that they've that they've somehow sort of gained an affiliation with that geography and it's got nothing to do with location. So 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 there's that. And and then for that like say a Norwegian fan or say an Indian fan it's not it's not that unusual for them to say i support liverpool and i also support barcelona i mean it's it, it, you don't get situations where they support two teams in the same in the same uh, country it, it it tends to be that sort of situation and, and and also like like for instance i i i've got a pal who's um who's a celtic fan like 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 in, and he's in his 50s but um he he, li- he lived in he lived in uh, barcelona for a while Got a, got a bit of a soft spot for Barcelona, and sort of started following their fortunes. And like, like again, it's part of his way of integrating. And then, um, and then he came to live in the northwest and and in Manchester, and he and, and he sort of got involved with a local club here. Um, and he's got a bit of a soft spot with, for Manchester United because he's got friends around here. And again, it's it's about integration. It's about sort of like becoming part of a community and 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 sort of uh uh. Just, 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 just becoming part of something of, of where you live, and and I, and I don't necessarily necessarily see anything wrong with that. Uh, most people, if you if you kind of said right, you, right, both your teams, I don't know, like like if you've got somebody supporting two teams and you say both your teams are in in the Champions League, they they will they will have a favorite. Um, yeah, but it's it's a kind it's a kind of way. It's it's like when when Bundesliga when Bundesliga was the only um, only football on TV. Because they were the first to come out of a lockdown, um, everyone was dead excited to watch it. But then, very quickly, what what a lot of people found is is if they've not got a favourite, or if or, or if they if they're just watching things purely as a neutral, it can be deathly dull. So, so quite often people people have a an affiliate affiliation or sort of like like a soft spot for a particular club, um, because just so that they can follow that league. Like like for instance, I, I'm a I'm a Manchester United fan. Like and and there's no compromising that. Like nothing comes close. Like I do not support any other club, but um, like I've always had a weird soft spot for for Na- for Napoli. Um, that's not to say I support them, but like I'd I'd, I'd want them to win Serie A. Like like and, and if they're playing, I want them to win. Like and, and again, like I've uh, I quite like Marseille just because I like I I I I see things about that city that I like. It's it's a it's a cosmopolitan city. It's a working class city, industrial city. Don't support them, donuts. You no, like no, no, no. I, 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 
but you have an affinity. There's like this is a different like it's a different thing. It, 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 I mean, I wonder if they actually do support two teams because if I was a supporter of police, Dion, I would say you can support one team in the in because obviously you support overseas teams and because of the glamour of the Premier League, that's going to happen. So I say you can support one team in your domestic league in your home country and one team in another league. But if your team is your Norwegian or Irish or whatever and you support Manchester United and AS Lecce, well, I don't buy it. I don't think that's that's not that's not going to cut the mustard for me, Dion. Yeah, well, you see, I think in Ireland you always had this uh, debate too with League of Ireland where, um, you know, there will be a hardcore who will say that you you shouldn't support a, 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 an English club or a Premier League club, and you should only support um, a League of Ireland club. Whereas I think there are many people who follow League of Ireland clubs who would also follow a Premier League club. Uh, and I think you know a lot of people like I had clubs in every division when I was a kid. You know, like a sort of Colchester. You know, Celtic, Shamrock Rovers, like, you know, you'd have these are the teams you would have scattered around whatever leagues uh, for whatever reason, like you would pick up in a white, you know, you would pick up these teams and follow them, but they're not the team uh, that you follow. But I actually have some kind of sympathy for the like what the Matt Dickinson column in in a certain degree in a certain respect uh because i i clearly people are half and half scarves changing you know being david meller and changing from fulham to chelsea uh and these kind of things are uh aren't good but i also really i think there's a there's an awful lot of performative football fandom and you know the half and half scarves are kind of performative football fandom on the other side, but there is a, a very much a performative football fandom, uh, which is kind of a, a, a sort of a, a football fan as a brand, and it's like you don't change your club, mate, you know. And it's like you know if I was ha- saying that sentence and I was doing performative football fan, I would I would use words like it's disgusting, it's betrayal, it's horrendous, it's hideous. I would go over the top in saying how bad it is if somebody changes their football team when to be honest i don't think it's like if if somebody over the course of a, of their lifetime develops a fondness for one team more than a, than another for for loads of different reasons as not said if you go and live somewhere when i lived in london i went to QP, i started going to qpr a lot because it was the closest club to me and i could walk to qpr and uh and I loved everything about going to QPR. I loved, Shep, you know, the, the sense of, of the old Irish in London around Shepherd's Bush, the guys who'd be standing abusing the players on the, on the, on the, in the stand behind, you know, beside the pitch, how close you were to the ground, everything except actually watching QPR play football, which was always terrible. But, mm-hmm. but everything else about it was great. And as Nan said, like that sense of being, it being your, in your, your local team, uh, is is really an important thing, and I think there are loads of reasons why. If 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 you supported three different teams between the ages of like twenty and thirty five, and they're the three teams you supported are Manchester United, Liverpool, and Manchester City, like you, people would be rightly kind of skeptical of you as a football fan. But 
again, I don't want to be kind of saying it's you've created some great act of betrayal uh, to something, to some, you know, the football gods, because I kind of think that's stuff that is kind of hammered home by, it's also used by, everybody uses it, clubs use it against support. Like, if, if, there, if this wasn't there, clubs could be, clubs couldn't treat supporters as badly as they do if they thought they actually might go and support somebody else. Now, the flip side of that is that's why football fans are so committed to their clubs because they're not going to go and support somebody else, um, which is the good way of looking at it. But it is, it is, it is a very neat piece of marketing uh, to keep people attached to, <laughs> to entities at times that actually don't treat them very well. Um, and I, I just so I don't want to say it's a, a terrible thing. And I do think, well, to go back to my point, I do think there are, there are people who, because you know, I, 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 my, if my son grew up supporting, uh, I might be the, a team that I didn't support. Um, I might be the type of father who enjoys the, uh, the kind of you know, like the banter of of like slagging him if his team lost but i actually don't think i would be if he wanted to go i think i'd want what he what gave him joy to give me joy and i would probably develop a fondness i know that happened with my my father uh and he he supported the team that we supported because he saw what pleasure it brought us and uh and so i think you you um it evolves over time and it evolves over time because it is actually something uh, that maybe changes with, with different perspectives on life. I mean, in any case, I, I don't think it's an issue of changing clubs. I don't think it's changing affiliations because that suggests that, you, that you're, you're, you're sort of hopping onto a bandwagon and, and sort of uh, giving up on a particular, particular team because of shit. Um, and I, I don't think that is happening at all, really. I mean, it might happen yeah. like, for like the odd. The I, odd think you can, I think you can change downwards. You know, yeah. I think that's something like you can, you know, if you if you grow up supporting uh, Manchester United and then you become, uh, you know, a, a Preston fan or something or a Macclesfield fan or you go, I think you can kind of go, you can, if, if you're, if you're, if you're changing football clubs in pursuit of glory, I think you can probably, there's a cutoff point for about nine or ten. But it, if you're a Manchester United fan or a Liverpool fan, like there's lots of reasons not to stop supporting your team. For me, as an Everton fan, there's been lots of reasons to stop supporting Everton. One, I'm not from Liverpool. I didn't grow up there. And if I actually dig deeply on that, I do find myself begin. why do I bother with this? Because I don't have a connection to the area. And actually, I've never felt less like an Everton fan than when I'm in Liverpool and I'm surrounded by actual Everton fans born and bred. That's when I feel like, God, God, I, I unlike singing the songs and that, it's like, hmm. Is this does this all does this all fit? But when I come back and I remember like the fact that I grew up, I supported Everton since I was five, and that's just part of who I am. Like it's that it's those things that make me wonder. And I know Nas, what you're saying, it's not it's not quite about that, but I can't get my head around the idea that anybody could really be passionate about any more than one club. I personally don't understand that because. I think you can. You're passionate about one club. You might have a soft spot for another. That's it. I mean, I mean, I I agree. Like, like I I 
it's alien to me to, to to support more than one club. Like like I I really do not give a shit about anyone past United, but um, I see I see people and I know people who 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 are just like people who are full of integrity, like really sort of stand up people who who do who who do support uh, more than one club and and it's but it's it does tend to be people who who didn't sort of uh didn't grow up locally so 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 it almost gives them the license because because um they are no they are no more english than they are spanish than they are french but uh, but um they 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 it's almost like you need an avatar to enjoy a particular league, and and you need a buy-in, and that's what it is. It's 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 a it's a little bit like with me and G- GAA. Like like I'm a glorious supporter because obviously I, I picked I picked uh, Leitrim. So, good boy. Yeah. <laughs> I helped you in that regard. You but did. You're a Leitrim. You're a Leitrim fan, true and true. Now, yeah, but also also like I mean I know we're going off on a tangent. Like the jersey, that's all that matters. Well, well, that's the thing. Like like going off on a going off on a tangent. Like it's a really. It's a really cool looking jersey, and I, and I, and I, I've I've had a look at other sort of kits, and like, and I know this is a really sort of a facile point, but I can't, I can't see another one that's quite as nice. Moving on, lads. Um, he's not someone I would have known before today because I'm not um, an avid cricket supporter, but Michael Holding um, is somebody that a lot of more people know today after his incredible, but he was asked a question and he delivered this incredibly eloquent answer. Go through history, Wadi. These lights that are shining on us. You can tell me who invented the light bulb, right? Thomas Edison, right? Everybody knows Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Thomas Edison invented a light bulb with a paper filament. It burnt out in no time at all. Can you tell me who invented the filament that makes these lights shine throughout? Nobody knows because he's a black man. I was not taught in schools. Lewis Howard Latimer invented the carbon filament to allow lights to continuously shine. Who knows that? Everything should be, te- should be taught. When you go back through the schooling as a young man, I remember my school days. I was never taught anything good about black people. And you cannot have a society that is brought up like that, both white and black, that only teach what's convenient to the teacher. History is written by the conqueror, not by those that are conquered. History is written by the people who do the harm, not by the people who get harmed. And we need to go back and teach both sides of history. And until we do that and educate the entire human race, this thing will not stop. They keep on telling me there's nothing called white privilege. Give me a break. I don't see any white people going into a store on Oxford Street and being followed. A black man walks in, somebody's following him everywhere he goes. That is basic white privilege. Whether that white person went to rob the place or not, is not going to be thought of that way. And things like that have to change. Yeah, um... Really powerful, and again, Michael Holding joining the pantheon of sports people who've spoken so eloquently about Black Lives Matter. And, uh, um, like one of the things I think that's extraordinary about this, and it, it, this is a quite a narrow view of it in some ways, like there was a, underneath that clip, there were a lot of people saying stick to cricket and all that rubbish that you know some people insist on uh and 
forget for a minute about Black Lives Matter and forget about the, 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 the point that he's making, the really important point that he's making. Why would you not want to hear somebody talk about life and about things in that way? Because like this is one of the things that struck me. Like, and cricket is wonderful for this in in its in its uh, analysis anyway. And it's because they have so much time to fill a lot of the time that they, they do. You do tend to uh, their their personalities and their views and their um, their hinterlands tend to appear um, more than they might do with football. But but. Like this, this opera, like just Michael Holding talking like that was just, uh, it was clearly, it was so, it was so emotional. Like anybody, uh, who know, who follows cricket will know who Michael Holding is. Like, you know, he was part of the great West Indian team. His nickname, which is one of the great nicknames, was, was Whispering Death for the way he, you know, he was so softly spoken and yet he was such a lethal fast bowler and he was part of that, uh, frightening uh, West Indian bowling attack with Joe Garner and Malcolm Marshall. Um, and, you know, with that West Indian team, I was watching, I was watching uh, BBC, was it BBC were showing some of the old West Indian England test matches over the last few months as well. And you look at that West Indian team and how incredible they were. And, you know, when you talk actually about sporting allegiance for a minute, like my father was such a huge cricket fan. And he loves, he just loved good, you know, you know, you don't have allegiance, you know, we're the same allegiances, but like that West Indian cricket team uh, with Gordon Greenwich and Viv Richards, and he loved Gordon Greenwich. Uh, he would have done, he would have done anything to see that cricket team play. Like he just, he he loved them. And I kind of, it's a strange thing when you see somebody like Holding has been such a hero and you hear his voice breaking and you realize what he's had to put up with or what he's talking about. Uh, and, you know, he's been a hero of mine. He's been a hero of my father's and he's been a hero for so many people. And you then hear him kind of, you realize what he's endured, uh, this, what this hero has endured. Um, and it's crystallized in those few minutes. And, you know, from that, and even just this extraordinary thing, from that I saw a tweet by Sam Friedman uh, who tweeted a, a thread about uh, about Lewis Howard Latimer, um, and uh, he like this is an incredible story. Like he's, uh, you know, he says as Holding mentioned that we've all heard about Thomas Edison. Few people have heard of Latimer, who invented the carbon filament that made light bulbs commercially viable. Turns out it's an amazing story. His father was a slave who escaped to Boston. And because the subject became the subject of a famous legal case when his owner tried to get him back. Eventually, wealthy northern abolitionists paid off the owner and he was a free man. Lewis fought in the Navy in the Civil War and then went to work for a, a patent office where his enormous talent was discovered. He co-invented toilets for trains and then helped Alexander Graham Bell improve the design of the telephone. He then went, then went to work for Hiram Maxim, a competitor with Edison, an inventor of the Maxim gun. That's where he invented the carbon filament. He was sent to London to set up a factory for Maxim and was involved in putting electric lights on London street, streets. He ended up working for Edison and stayed in his company the rest of his career. His son-in-law was the first black public school teacher in New York. And Sam Friedman ends the thread. And Sam Friedman's a very 
good guy, good guy to follow on Twitter, and he ends the thread with, anyway, I feel very ignorant for not having heard of him until today. And even that jumping off point and that story that Michael Holding tells, and then you end up finding out about Lewis Howard Latimer and what Michael Holding has said about him and how true it is and how extraordinary that is that we haven't, we don't, you know, we don't know who this man is. Uh, and I think it was moving. And again, it's just like, I, I think that the, the depth of what is people are talking about here is an extraordinary thing. And, uh, uh, and it, you know, and this was a, a, a really important step in that in that journey. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like, like, and uh, holdings right about about uh, about the the brainwashing of both black and 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 white people in terms of in terms of what history shows us and who's a goodie and who's a baddie. Um, it's interesting because because cricket has has always been like a strangely political thing um it was spread through through the empire obviously uh, by the english and then th- there was great there was always great joy uh beating the english at their own game uh and i'm i'm not old enough to remember that great west indies team of the of the early 80s and those amazing uh fast bowlers but i am old enough to remember um, the Pakistan team of uh, of like uh, Wazim Akram and Waka Yunus and uh, and again like this whole thing about the Tebbit test uh, about oh people from this country sh- should support the English English team. Um, there's so- again there's something peculiar about about cricket and and I'm not sure what it is but it's kind of like the same way um, people in the early eighties like like I've I've watched documentaries about it and stuff and like th- th- there was. Um, there seem to be a lot of black people, regardless of where they're from, and regardless of whether they've they're from the West Indies, they were supporting that team because on that playing field um, they were equals, and on that playing field at least they could beat the English. Um, and it's the it was the same for like for me growing up, like it was you weren't you weren't really you weren't really told that much about sort of things to be proud about about being of Pakistani origin, like. It was usually something you were slightly embarrassed about, or, or like uh, people would sort of make fun of like the smellier food and stuff. So that was one thing that sort of you could get excited about, and that was the, that was the one link to sort of Pakistan that you could be proud about. Like Pakistan's got a good cricket team, and they're beating English. So uh, it's always been a special sport in a lot of ways, especially for people of empire. Um, and yeah, and, and and I mean, I was I was incredibly moved by uh holding's words and 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 uh if anything sort of just listening to dion speak uh about his thoughts and also um the, the sort of uh talking about his dad as well and like his love for cricket and stuff it it just sort of really really brings home sort of a how how uh important uh michael holding's words were and and, and also um just how how much like 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 Dion Dion obviously um, referred to his his nickname as as Whispering Death like he is like I I I mostly know him as a, as a commentator but like he's such a mild mannered sort of a lovely bloke um, from what I can see and for him to sort of again he 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 spoke in very calm sort of a lovely sort of a 
eloquent tone tones but like he like like the very fact he said all that in a really eloquent calm way but then cracked up slightly at the begin at the end it, it, it was that made it all the more moving because you could you because you kind of thought wait a minute like he he's he was so calm but like he's hiding this 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 strength of feeling and this hurt that that, that only just sort of slightly came out at the end it just made it more powerful for me Absolutely, yeah. No, it's 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 all it's 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 a very moving piece. Um and 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 you see Michael holding himself is very moved by the end. Um and I'm a lot of people have, have watched it today and it really does stand up to repeat viewing as well because it's just so incredibly powerful. We'll leave it there, chaps. Um thanks very much for your participation. Uh we'll be back again tomorrow evening. Uh, I have to kind of check myself yeah, it is thir- it's Thursday tomorrow evening. Um Manchester United against Aston Villa is the big game tomorrow evening. We'll be back after that. And thanks very much to you for, uh, excuse me, thank you very much uh, to you for listening. Yeah, that's right. And if you haven't already done so, click subscribe and we will talk again soon. Good luck. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow, bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Ole Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.